Hello, everyone from the GM Yearbook. I'm Matt. And I'm Jim. We're here to take you on a trip to a different year of music every week and share our opinions on what we found. Yeah. Welcome to version 1991. Here we are. We're doing something different this time around. This week, it's our 10th episode. We yeah. opened up a poll to see where we would go next. The choices were 1984, 1991, and 2016. Who was the winner, Jim? It was 1991. Yeah, 91. Uh, if you turned it, if you tuned in every week, first of all, thank you. Yeah. If you have, you'll know that every version we take on a full year. But this time we're going to split 1991 up into two parts. This week we'll tackle January through July. The latter part of 91 deserves its own show. Mm-hmm. We'll set the table for what's to come. I was kind of hoping to knock off 2016 and not have it be our fault for jamming in another 2000 years <laughs> or so soon. Uh, were you pulling for any year specifically? Well, before I let you know my opinion on the year that we're going to do today, I just want to say thank you to everybody out there who actually put a vote in and chose 1991. I didn't actually want 2016, that's for sure. When I, I started bet. the poll, yeah, <laughs> it, it was easy to put in 1991 and 1984. And to be honest, I was probably pulling for 1984 to be nostalgic about a better year of the 1980s than 1986. <laughs> I knew 91 would probably be the popular choice, especially with my friends, but 2016 was more of a wild card. A case could be made for 1987 or 1972, but really who doesn't want to talk about 1991? Look at us in this time period. (laughs) It's either the series finale or the elephant in the room that needs to be addressed. (laughs) I figured this is where we would wind up and I'm ready to address the big deal. It's 1991 now. Today, let's do this. All right. I did want 2016, as I said, for selfish reasons, but the voters made the right choice. Thank you. We appreciate all the uh, participation. Yes. We had tossed around the idea of making our 10th show uh, two-parter, and 1991 is the ideal year to do that with. We have to. There's something big looming in the second half of 91, and next week we get to focus on that. And it should highlight what a jacked up piece of crap the first half was. In <laughs> <laughs> my opinion, Jim may not share that one. Uh, not since version of 1986 have I covered a bigger pile of waste. Ah, you know, <laughs> halfway through this episode, I may take that back a little bit once I calm down. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to butt heads a little bit on 1991. And in yeah. fact, we're actually going to take this through July because music doesn't really shift until August. And people who know music history know what's coming in that month. And those who are tuning in for the first time or don't know what happened in 1991, well, hang in there for episode two. The first half is actually a little bit boring. It's boring, yet very happy music. I just wanted to party, dance, and have fun in the first half of 91. So I kept all the cool music and all the new alternative music to myself that I was discovering to those moments of solitude. Yeah. But a lot of this happy, shiny music that was out there, I was in bands. You're not going to play that kind of music no. in a band. No. You're not going to go out and play Michael Bolton. <laughs> you're not you're not going to play that stuff, right? You're not, or you're not going to go out and uh, cover uh, Public Enemy or something like that. So <laughs> you kind you you kind of you know stick into your your lane a little bit. But uh, we'll get on to bashing all the happiness uh, before we get too far. Let's have some death. Right? Don't we always uh, go a <laughs> little dark here? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go a little dark. I'm not trying to make light of it, but shit happens, right? Uh, 1991 saw the passing of 
Steve Clark, uh, one of the guitarists for Def Leppard. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, bad luck follows that band all the yeah, way around. Really? Yeah. No kidding. But they persevere. Def Leppard never achieved the same success in their albums, though, after that. There was something lost. Yeah, that, and they did try to change their sound to uh, get away from the hair metal. You know, I think they dived into country a little bit as well mm -hmm. um, a few years ago. But, but, yeah. they, but they always go back to who they are. Yeah, exactly, as they should. And uh, uh, Leo Fender passed away mm -hmm. in 91. You ever play a Fender? Uh, I have played the occasional uh, P bass, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My, my bass was the Precision Jazz for many years. Precision bass with a jazz neck. I, I owe nothing but gratitude to this man. He inspired Hendrix, you know, Clapton, Steve Ray Vaughan. He invented their sound. Yeah, it's the classic sound. And this is a guy who actually never played an instrument in his life. He just <laughs> had a mathematical or scientific idea of what music should sound like. And we have Fender guitars. So thank you, Leo Fender. Okay, enough death. Now on with the show. Okay, what do we do? <laughs> we're gonna uh, we're gonna dive in here. I asked in a recent episode, when do we get to shit on the Grammys? Yeah, it didn't take long to realize 1991 is a great year to start doing that. You're goddamn right, it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we know greatest some latitude. Uh, the Grammys held in '91. They're for music in 1990, mm -hmm. but bear with it. This just needs to be discussed. I completely respect this man for so many amazing works yes but we have to talk about quincy jones's bullshit seven grammy <laughs> oh my god i have i never ever knew this album existed and i hadn't even listened to it until this week this might be worse than jethro tall winning the first heavy metal grammy but that was first one off, grammy not seven. i know i know <laughs> I, I know but they just shouldn't have won the heavy metal one right no. um well so first off what the fuck <laughs> Second, it was released in 1989. Probably October I, or late. Yeah, <laughs> uh, October. So I'll, I'll, I'll give them that. But third, it's a cliched piece of shit. It, it's rehashed music. Yes. Oh, my God. That first song, have you listened? Well, you obviously have. Yeah. And it, it's it, that that first song. It's just full of rap cliches. Um. And I, I went down on the Wikipedia page, seeing what he was credited with, uh -huh. where there's like one, one song, one song, the first one where he was credited as doing lead vocals. Yeah, because he's right Quincy there. Jones, he's back yeah. and I'm back yeah. and I'm back oh. on the block and I'm Quince oh. Jones. Yeah, exactly. And drums and drum machine and all that on single mm -hmm. songs. But then there's three songs where he's credited for hand claps. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like. Wait, you have a drum machine that probably has that sound effect. You couldn't get <laughs> Look, man, when Quincy comes in and claps his hands, it's better People than when anybody else comes in and yeah. claps his yeah. hands. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. And it's probably <laughs> his, his album because he produced it. Um, you know, he put it all together, and there's different people singing on it. And uh, But he couldn't find a shitty movie that needed a shittier soundtrack. <laughs> to get this. I'm getting, like, happy angry because it's really fun to – to just go in on a piece of shit record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, you and I have a lot of difference on the 80s sound and the R&B stuff that came out. But what I know listening to this album is that everything on it has already been done and produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. It's Bobby yeah. Brown. It's Paul Abdul. It's Ugh. all that same kind of drum beat, those rhythmatics. 
music was so bad in 1990 that they basically just decided to give out seven lifetime achievement awards to Quincy Jones. They had That's exactly what it felt like. <laughs> exactly what it felt like. And, and let's talk about, you know, if you're going to be on the Grammys next, I'm going to bring up MC Hammer. Here's a man. That oh, yeah, nominated. Jim. Yeah. Okay, Jim. Go in. I'm, the, I'm real shocked that you're going to go down this road. Look, this guy was nominated for best album on an album that was all based on samples. It was all oh, yeah. other music underlaid. Well, isn't that a lot of hip hop? Not it? all of it, but isn't that a it, lot of hip hop? It, it is. I guess, but when it comes to a best album, to me, there's some kind of category that needs to be set aside for originality and music and writing, possibly, you know, not just taking other samples and beats. It's one thing maybe to lift a bass line or a drum beat or something else and drop it into a song, but to basically take a 90 second clip of a song and put it, it into and yours and rewrite the lyrics over it so that they now rhyme. I'm not singing. I'm talking <laughs> and rhyming. And now you're it's still stuck on this Mashing Pumpkins song from last week. Yeah. And now it's worthy of a Grammy because I made up new words to an old song. I liked MC Hammer. You yeah, know, you did. Yeah. A lot of people did though. Oh, I learned a bunch of his dance moves. It was a great way to meet girls for me in 90 and 91. <laughs> and even cheesy Jim knows this isn't Grammy material. It's supposed to be about the music. If Rick James didn't get the same nominations in the 80s, MC Hammer should not be part of this discussion today. This well, is see, they needed to take an 80s song, come in and kick 90s ass. <laughs> yeah, you might be right. <laughs> you, oh, wait, all of a sudden you're like, oh, here's 1980 popping its head out in 1991. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you never. I guess. Up. Yeah, you never. Run yeah, <laughs> we both missed that. Uh, I yeah, guess. I know that's coming. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I guess cleanup episode. Rick James, nineteen eighty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you know the, the Grammys is just a popularity contest, anyways, and it's a way to for artists to be rewarded for making the record companies money. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty much all it is. It's just yeah. It's. It's dirty, just like the Hall of Fame. It's, it's dirty. <laughs> but you think of songs, you know, saying that Quincy Jones got seven Lifetime Achievement Awards for an album that probably nobody would put on their list of top 50 greatest, you know, oh, albums no. of all time. Uh, we've got Phil Collins. And yeah, you brought him up earlier. Come on, put on the asshole hat. Let's all go. Right. Uh, Phil Collins. I'm not an anti-Phil Collins guy from top to bottom. I like Genesis. I liked, you know, No Jacket Required when I was a kid. So studio, Billy Don't Lose That Number. Some of those songs were fun. In the Air Tonight. Yeah, I grew up, you know, as cliched as it is with the drum fill and everything going on. Against All Odds. I might talk about that when we go back into the early 80s. And Yeah, then his music got Disneyfied or something. It did. There was something about what he was doing that just was so homogenized that you were just kind of like, it's Phil Collins in a can. Yeah. And it got refined to a point where he's not growing anymore. No, not at all. And this album, but seriously came out this song, another day in paradise. This is the shittiest song that's ever won record of the year. Hands down. In my opinion, does this push for the break of grunge? We have a millionaire singing about the plight of homelessness. <laughs> Did we get sick of that bullshit? Is that what happened? 
Can I make a, good, a case for Phil Collins yeah, being the straw that broke that camel's back? He's definitely one of the straws, but it's a tough one because if, you know, like today, everybody wants to apply today's sensibilities. Yeah. He could come off as being tone deaf, right? Yeah. On one hand, he, he's tone deaf and up because he doesn't recognize his privilege. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, he's using his privilege to highlight a problem and on the other hand, yeah, there's three hands. Keep up. <laughs> wait, um, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> there's three Matt's hands. Matt's got a foot in the air. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, did this song help anything? We didn't no. bust on Bruce Hornsby in 1986, That's by the true. way it is. I hate that song too, but uh, that was Hornsby's first hit. So, and he wasn't at the same level of fame as Phil Collins. So we, he probably gets a break. Bruce Hornsby was still a kid. And there's some kind of forgiveness in that youthful optimism. Phil Collins, though, was the British male king of pop at this point. Activist Billy Bragg compared Phil Collins to The Clash, saying that Collins might write a song about homelessness, but if he doesn't have the action to go with it, he's just exploiting it for the subject. Um, Another thing from the Grammys, Sinead O'Connor won for Best Alternative Vocal Performance. And I bring this up because it's a good example of what alternative used to be. I really stopped paying attention to the Grammys in the probably after 89. That's when you graduated. You Um, were out of high school. Yeah. But even before then, it it didn't really care because bands, you know, Iron Maiden wasn't going to get on there and perform (laughs) or anything. Right. All right. Enough of the Grammys. Uh, Well, let's get off that soapbox. Okay. Um, Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Not you. Yeah. Give it back because I'm going to get on it later. (laughs) So you brought up hair metal. Yes. Um, I've been trying to put myself back into 91 and remember what was out there. Um, There were a couple good releases in 91 Mm -hmm. and some from 90 hanging out. Yeah. But minimal presence on the charts, which it doesn't, that doesn't really matter to me, but I mean, there's a good reason. A lot of it was really bad. Um, And I think I was in this time of really listening to uh, fewer bands than I had before. Mm-hmm. There were bands that big were big, you know, a few years prior, like your Motley Crue, Rat, Bon Jovi. They were huge, but they'd used up what good material they had. They'd used up their best material and were just kind of hanging out. Yeah. Um, and it was music for a younger version of me. You know, I've I've grown up. I've kind of seen the flaws in there. And hair metal, it is. It's kind of like the lowest common denominator of metal. It doesn't mean I didn't love love it in the 80s um, or even in the early 90s. Oh, there's some I remember, fun, yeah. Yeah, but I remember very few albums sticking with me. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, 91, Van Halen's For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, their last great album. I talked about A Different Kind of Truth in uh, 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, lo- I really do like that album. I mean, it doesn't measure up to carnal knowledge no i i can't see the point lingering on this too much i mean anybody listening probably knows that album they know it's full of great songs they know it was huge great success for them you know no point really gushing on it uh, you you don't have to gush on it but i think if you bring it up to people and you talk about the right now music video it was oh yeah it was epic in its day and its time and when you think about everything that was making an impact in music in 1991 it's really cool that Van Halen made themselves still very relevant, regardless of what's going to come in August. Yeah. <laughs> when we yeah, move on, yeah. Van Halen did not disappear. 
they actually put their footprint right down with this album and made sure yeah, they that yeah we're going to keep and, listening to and them. they're kind of loosely associated with hair metal i mean they they dip in and out of it a little bit but i think yeah. sammy guilty by association them a little bit further away from hair metal yeah yeah but not sammy hagar speaking of hair yeah. metal <laughs> <laughs> david the roth released yeah. a little ain't enough third time's not the charm uh, the the, so- the songs they're not terrible. No. Uh, any any one of them could have been on Eden and Smiler skyscraper. Mm-hmm. I remember when Mark brought this home. I looked at like what I didn't even know he was coming out with one. Don't get me wrong, Jason Becker is a great guitarist. Mm-hmm. I was puzzled when I heard he was on the album because I knew Cacophony, and I'm like, wait a second, he kind of more of an Ingve Malmsteen kind of guitarist. Then I realized, well, maybe I don't know what he's playing and what Marty Friedman's playing. Mm-hmm as far as the solo on, on the album for a little late enough though. I think I, I missed the Billy Sheehan and the zaniness of him and Steve Vai playing together. Mm-hmm. The, the guitar sound was pretty similar because they both put uh, Ivan as guitars on Roth's albums. Um, and I was really surprised they didn't get any flack for last call. That is a complete ripoff of walk this way. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it's just so close. I saw them on this tour. I wasn't expecting Steve Vai because I'd known about Jason Becker taking over the lead guitar role. He'd recently been diagnosed with ALS and I was hoping to see him, but I wasn't able to. He had to stop touring because he had uh, lost his ability to play and his dexterity Mm. was gone. There's a great documentary that came out a few years back called I'm Still Here. And it's about him. He's still alive and he's composing music with his eyes. Oh, cool. Yeah, he found a different way to inspire people in his life, and it's quite a story. Oh, I'll have to check that out. I like I like music documentaries. I haven't heard of that one now. Also, Bob Rock produced this album. He's about to peak before the end of this year, but he was definitely still behind some stinkers. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me of this in part two in August. I'm only bringing this up now to point out to my friend Ewan that some of Bob Rock's less than stellar work exists. But that's another argument with somebody outside the show. Let's talk about the music that was coming out in 91. There's a lot to go through, so let's just start rolling through the releases. Keeping with the hair metal, uh, Mr. Big released Lean Into It. Yep. Um, We've already talked about Billy Sheehan. But being a bass player, I'll listen and most likely really like whatever Billy Sheehan does. He's Mm -hmm. been in a bunch of bands. His name's going to pop up from time to time. This is a rarity for 91 for me, a hair band that made a great record. And according to my ears, I still really like it. I was a little surprised. Uh, Eric Martin, he's got such a dynamic voice. It's got the typical hair ballads on. Everybody loved to be with you. That was that was probably their big hit off that one. Um, Skid Row. Oh, yeah. Slave to the Grind. Um, This was a shock to learn when, when I researched this. I had no idea that this album debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. Wow. It sold 134,000 copies in the first week. Was this their sophomore album? Yeah, yeah, I believe it was. Which probably why, because the the, the first album was massive. Oh, it was. And I bet it pissed a lot of people off that were expecting 18 and Life Part 2. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little surprised Atlantic let them release it, because for, for their second album, people usually don't go more aggressive in their sound and abandon a lot of the hair band cliches lyrically. Mm-hmm. Um, but they certainly did. I, it, it wasn't really a, to me, it wasn't really a great album. There wasn't really a lot of hooks into it to, to grab my attention. I had gotten a little tired of them. They were just, they were seriously overplayed. Yeah. But again, 
it's music for a younger version of me. You know, yeah. when I was by 91, I'm really starting to let go of this. Okay. Enough hair metal. Uh, I can hear people turning off the podcast. And turning <laughs> <into something. laughs> if you say poison, we're done. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jim. You just lost all the audience. Uh, so what genre you want to hit on next as he's finishing up a beer? Well, let's go to hip hop. <laughs> all right. Lead the way. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start with Gangstar. I, I was really impressed. I went back to listen to this album. I remember stepping in the arena when it came out back in the day. It might be one of those albums that might be better today, if that makes any sense. It just has this classic flow and the messages are still relevant. Oh, definitely. I vaguely remember that name, Gangstar. I hadn't heard any of it Mm -hmm. until this week. This is really good. I, you know, for somebody who doesn't, you know, doesn't dig on a lot of hip hop, this is really good. And because maybe it is new to me, it sounds timeless. Yeah. Then also there was De La Soul. This along with Gangstar, they were considered pioneers of what was called alternative rap, whatever that means. It's also considered one of the best hip hop albums of all time. Yeah, I, I don't think I had ever heard any De La Soul until this week (laughs) definitely knew the name but uh yeah i definitely had not heard about it i knew and know nothing about de la soul other than the name and they were probably on the arsenio hall show oh yeah 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 (laughs) they they definitely would have been somebody else who may have been but depending upon the language he was using was ice t the new jack city soundtrack i was obsessed with this album ice t also had an album the og original gangster Came out during this time. Funny story. I was obsessed with this album. The movie New Jack City. I, I went and saw it in Rhode Island when I was on my orientation for my freshman year of college in 1991. And it kind of hooked me in. It probably wasn't a movie we would actually get up in Newport just because of, <laughs> you know, the, the material. Yeah. But I had the cassette tape. And I'll never forget, you know, I'd ride all over town listening to it. And one day I'd returned home, gone into the house and done something. And my dad took the car and oh, decided well, to go run, run an errand with my car. <laughs> and he came back and the New Jack City soundtrack and Ice-T singing New Jack Hustler was the tape that was rolling around through my cassette deck at that point. Yeah. He walked up to me when he got home and he said, whatever that music is playing in the car, don't tell your mother. <laughs> and yeah it was iced tea so uh hey, long story short new jack city iced tea good stuff as far as hip-hop goes down through the end of it i'm going to fast forward us we've got what i consider the last two songs of dance fun hip-hop that was going on one of those is heavy d and the boys now that we found love nothing special oh, yeah. About, yeah nothing special about the song other than that it was fun and it was anthemic still for its time. And you might find it on the yeah. radio today. Yeah, it's and anthemic. Th- yeah. And then we also have Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch doing music for the people. This album. Look, Marky Mark, put a goddamn shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> just because we don't have abs, Jim. Yeah, we were just intimidated <laughs> by him. Admittedly, I had this cassette. I loved it. When I was in college, I deemed Good Vibrations to be my dorm room theme song. And whenever it came on, everybody in the room had to get up and dance. So we were a bunch of idiots to it. 
I know you probably hated it, but I, I still had a fun memory attached to it. And I'm also still happy Marky Mark stopped making music. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. But he recovered from it quite yes. well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hit the nail on the head. This, I couldn't really stomach this. Uh, but I also wasn't around the people who would listen to it. You remember I talked about my dorm experience, mm-hmm. right? I was with a group of people that would put on Garth Brooks and then they would put on snow, right? So, you, I, you know, I get it. You get into a group of people and you just have fun. But at the beginning, you mentioned about all the happiness and you're right. I just can't take all this bubbly happiness. <laughs> it's like hip hop show tunes. I just can't get into it. Um, it's deeper than that, though. All right. Mm-hmm. So last week, version 2021, we both had the opinion that a lot of it sounded the same. Yeah. Apparently Agreed. that problem, apparently that problem has been going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we probably have a different emotional attachment to what was out then as opposed to now. So it might be harder for us to call it out for what it is. But again, I have an untrained ear for hip hop. Mm-hmm. All the beats to me sound the same sonically. So nothing can stand out. You know, if we're all special, then no one is. That's true. Right. And I, I know that argument can be applied to any genre. Most songs, I don't care what genre, country. Oh my God, we said country. Um, rock, pop, whatever. They follow the same pattern. First chorus, first chorus, maybe a bridge. Used to be some kind of solo. Maybe a third verse and or a chorus fade out slash hard stop. Right. And you, I can drive myself crazy and get sick of hearing music entirely because I get so sick of that pattern. But at least with physical drummers, my ear can pick up the tonal differences in the drums. Mm-hmm. And every drummer is stylistically different. And beyond drums, there's little variation in the fake bass sounds. <laughs> um, and, and, and this argument isn't limited to hip hop. You know, you can look at uh, the female artists that were around in 91. Okay. So I'll just go up. I'll just go off you. I'll let you make a comment. I don't know if you're mm-hmm. a fan of these or not. Mariah Carey. That, of her music? No. <laughs> <laughs> at, the, at the time, though? But wow, she was hypnotizing to watch as a young man. I definitely had a little celebrity crush on her. Yeah, and I'll admit, I'm doing a double take whenever she hits some of those notes. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, that, yeah. that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, Gloria Estefan. Nothing but respect. Never followed her music. Yep, same here. I have no, I have no disrespect for any of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paula Abdul, her first album was fun. Opposites tracked, cold hearted, but this second album that she put out, it just didn't hit with me. Uh, yeah, it was the start of ninety one. It lost my interest. It was ballads. Yeah, yeah. Whitney Houston, great, but Whitney yeah. came, yeah, came along a, a few years earlier for me. The only thing I remember from Whitney in ninety one was really the national anthem at the Super Bowl. And being the standard that got set that you actually have to look for every single year now since is this going to be as good as Whitney Houston's Super Bowl song in 1991? Yeah, exactly. And and what happened with that version of the Star Spangled Banner? Because it was so awesome. It became a a number one single. Right. The national anthem. Right. So and, and none of this has anything to do with the voices because all of those are distinct voices. You can tell them apart. Right. Mm-hmm. Same with hip hop. Um, I'm, my ear is still a little untrained, but I can definitely ice tea. Nobody sounds like ice tea. No. Right. You can you can pick that out. But all of the music sounds the same to me. It doesn't matter who's singing or rapping. You could play musical chairs with the voices and it wouldn't matter. Even put uh, 
not even just singling out the women, put Michael Bolton in there, right? There's nothing distinct about his songs, nothing beyond his voice that makes me go, that's a Michael Bolton song. Mm -hmm. There's no subtlety to make moments within a song or from song to song stand out. It's one of the reasons why I don't go too deep in the metal too, because it's all at least with punk, they keep it to two minutes and you know, I get a quick out. So I, I put together a list of albums by release in 1991 through July. The optimism of the 80s is still present. Did Marky Mark break the music world in July when he hey, came whoa, out? Hey, whoa, whoa, hold on. You've already blamed Phil Collins for breaking oh, out grudge. You well, can't blame Marky Mark as well. I can blame both of them. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> This year is going to be like the light side to the dark side of the forest, probably as we go through. But we're still in the light side of the forest for this episode until we only get- in only in feeling of the music, not in how I feel about it. Yeah, not, and not the dark side of the forest. We're going to start straight yeah. off with an album we both don't really care for. Yeah, the Sting, the Soul Cages, Sting solo work sucks. Yes. It, the police were so cool. Mm-hmm. They were so goddamn cool. And then he went all adult contemporary, mm-hmm. uh, maybe to prove his talent. But dude, we knew you were talented. Yeah. Right. I'm sure some people love that solo stuff. And, and, and I wanted to love it. You know how you're kind of programmed to, oh, it's Ting. I have to love this. Yeah. Uh, no, it fucking sucked. No. It was terrible. Can you say boring? But this album is just pretentious. Oh, completely. So next album, Jesus Jones Doubt. This album, I saw them on tour with the Cocteau Twins in Montreal. It's not something I'd go back to and listen to, but right here, right now was a big one hit wonder and it still gets airplay today. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, it was kind of anthemic, I guess. It was definitely huge. This and EMF's Unbelievable. I, those are two songs that I couldn't escape. Yeah. Uh, and I, but in two songs, they just can't revisit anymore. Just, I think I said earlier, it comes down to memories attached to music. I don't need to hear these songs anymore either, but both of them mm. take me back to a good time in my life. Yep. What, what about the divinals? <laughs> uh, did, did you touch yourself, Jim? No, I was 18, 19 <laughs> years old. I was doing that as much as I could. <laughs> that explains the glasses, I right? Love <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's a good song. Wait, who's it's wearing glasses? Song. Hey, shut up. I'm older than you. <laughs> <laughs> Respect your elders, Jim. <laughs> you know, the Divinals, they are such a good band. And I wish I had given them more time back in the day. It took me to listen to more than this song I, this week. I never heard any more than this. this song. They got a lot of good stuff. Yeah. yeah. If you go look up the history of the Divinals, you'll find out they've got quite a back catalog before yeah. this year what about the screaming trees that you know as we start to crawl closer towards what happens know, in the second half of yeah, the year yeah. you know, here's a band we're gonna uncle you foreshadowing Asia. again yeah. <laughs> uh you know this one i didn't hear for a couple of years until sweet of bolivian came out okay i was slightly disappointed in it because i really hold sweet of bolivian in high regard mm-hmm. it took a few listens but i grew to like it and i respect it on its own merits I can hear the sound that would become Sweet Oblivion. And there's okay. a couple songs in there with different guitar textures. But yeah, I, I ended up really liking this album. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is January 1991. <laughs> Already <laughs> part so, of it. Part yeah, of it. Yeah. Let's go on to February. And a big album for both of us came out in February of 1991. Oh, yeah. 
Tragically hip road yeah, apples. Come on. God damn. You know, the hip, it's one of those bands where it's impossible to pick a favorite album. Yeah. If I had to take, if I was going to a desert Island and I only, could only choose one tragically hip album and I took road apples, I would never get to hear blow it high dough or it's a good life. If you don't weaken or courage or poets ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think where road apples gets the nod is being a fully completely great album yeah it's beginning just, to end see what it's i did great. there with a fully completely <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's a great driving record too mm-hmm. uh, just drive around and, and belt these songs out with gourd it's so awesome um another one that came out was queen yeah New Window. I, I think by this point the world knew that freddie mercury was dying even though he'd been denying it uh it was a throwback in many ways for queen mm. it didn't really have the massive radio hits but it still sold so well around the world because people had just an amazing sentiment for that band. Yeah. And Freddie Mercury wanted the work to succeed on its own merit. Mm -hmm. Right. He didn't want people, you know, the pity of, Oh, it's Queens last record. You know, he wanted to succeed on the music. Yeah. It wasn't promoted that way at all. Yeah. They hadn't recorded a song like innuendo in forever. Mm -hmm. You know, that all the different parts that just flow together, the only way queen can do that. it, it, It was a good, I don't know. It's terrible that they ended, but you know, if it was queen was going to end, yeah, this is a good way to end. When we move on to March, what's headed in our direction. One of the biggest albums of the entire nineties is right there. Yeah. REM out of time. Yeah. It was massive. Yeah. This broke them into a worldwide audience. Mm -hmm. Um, They were kind of uh, like a culty sort of college radio band before this album, I think. Yeah, they were. Yep. Um, but once this album exploded, uh, people dove into their back catalog. So it, it's kind of hard for me to remember what their level of fame was. I know a lot of people our age in high school and stuff, they listened to REM, you know, prior to this album mm-hmm. breaking, obviously. But yeah, there was always that group in high school that listened to REM. Yeah, I was one of those kids. When this album came out, the song Losing My Religion really hit home for me. It was very personal for me at a time in my life where I was trying to find my identity, having grown up uh, in a very religious household. The album propelled to worldwide recognition. I went back and gave it a listen this past week. And this album, in my opinion, has both the past and future of R.E.M. combined into Mm -hmm. one album. You have Losing My Religion, which was the pathway they were going to go down afterwards. But if you just listen back to Texacarna, that was actually a classic kind of REM radio song from college radio. So okay. this album has the best of both worlds for REM. It's, it's just a really nice album. And yeah, everybody loves to hate shiny, happy people, but I love really? that song. Yeah, that's I a love great it. song. I yeah. love that song. Let's move on to April. Lenny Kravitz, Mama Said. Lenny is cool to me. I'm not crazy about his music, but I do think that what he does is still really cool. This album has some bright spots. There's some Zeppelin-esque riffs with Mama Said. It's just cool. And I think the bass line over and ain't over till it's over is smooth. It holds that one note. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I want to love Lenny Kravitz. He's, he's freaking talented, mm-hmm. right? And I really respect people that play all the instruments, you know, on the songs. You know, nothing but respect. But with him, it's a bit of a problem. And it's his drumming. Yeah. It sounds very click track driven, so in time, and there's not a lot of feeling to it. 
-hmm. Sometimes you want a little swing to it. Bury that hi-hat use. Uh, he's a better drummer than me, you know, uh, <laughs> but it's, but, but, but it's very wooden not to keep harping on it, but being a bass player drives me to listen to how drummers play. Yeah. Um, if I was playing bass on this album and on that, I never will be, but if I was, I wouldn't know what to do because he's not giving me anything to work with. And that's probably why the bass is so boring too. But there are some really cool songs on here. Really cool guitar riffs. Always on the run. It ain't over till it's over. That's a great song. Mm -hmm. uh, but overall, it just needs some caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. It needs a double shot of espresso. Moving on from Lenny, Crash Test Dummies released their debut album, The Ghosts That Haunt Me. Yep. Um, I remember seeing the video for Superman's song on Good Rockin' Tonight yeah. <laughs> with Stu Jeffries on CBC uh, Channel 6, I think, out of Montreal. I got the album. I was really confused. I had no idea what I was in for, but it definitely wasn't the folk uh, music that I, that I was hearing <laughs> out of coming out of my speakers. I hadn't heard anything like this in forever. And this is, hands down, one of my favorite albums from 91. One of the bands that I want to bring up next that was not a favorite of 91, surprisingly, was Temple <laughs> of the Dog, self-titled Temple of the Dog. I think this album has a couple of good songs, and it was a great tribute to Andrew Wood, who was the lead singer of Mother Love Bone. And a lot of the guys in Pearl Jam were in that band before Eddie Vedder joined. But I heard Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, and they'd broken through. Probably this album I heard in 1992, I think Hunger Strike came on the radio after Pearl Jam 10 and after Soundgarden had come along. And by then, I liked those bands so much that this album didn't really excite me. I'm a little surprised at that tape. Uh, I expected you to really like this, but I have to. I mean, it's so boring to have to agree with you, <laughs> but mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I have to. Yeah, I think I tried really hard to like this album. Same here. Yeah, I'm sure I had the tape, but I didn't really give it much play, and I don't have any nostalgia attached to it. <laughs> On top of that, looking down in this month, Boys to Men, <laughs> Cooley, oh, yeah. Cooley High Harmony. Is that what it says in the Cooley album? High Harmony. <laughs> yeah. Is, isn't that the name of the album? Yeah, yeah. This was probably the last boy band to be successful for the next seven to eight years before the Disney kids emerged. Yeah, it's yeah. so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. That's a really good song, though. It's good. It's, and in the harmonies on Motel in Philly and some of that stuff, it's fun. It's yeah. good stuff to listen to. Violent Femmes, they came along. Uh, they had a Why the Birds Sing album. Yeah. Yep. Uh, American Music. That's the one song off that album that I think probably was the last Violent Femmes tune that got kind of wide alternative rock radio airplay. Yes. And then after that, they kind of went away. Another album that came out in 91 that we probably caught on retrospectively to an extent, at least I did, was Primus Sailing the Seas of Cheese. Yeah, what? right. I didn't hit this until after Pork Soda. No, no, I didn't either. I, I kind of picked up a little bit of it. Tommy the Cat was on the Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey soundtrack. Oh, was it? Yeah. So I knew that had come along. And I think Jerry was a race car driver, was out there playing. Oh, on, I love that song. Yeah. yeah on Alternative Nation. But other than that, I didn't really know much about like John the Fisherman or those other tunes until Pork Soda and then went back. And yeah, man, Les Claypool is just one of those master bass showmen. Yeah, I can't believe one person gets all of that sound out of a bass. Yeah. It's amazing. And regardless of how you feel about the songs, just listen to them and go, 
that's a guy doing that on a bass guitar. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah, it. I, I got to go to YouTube and watch him do it. It's yep. it's so amazing. Yeah. Paul Abdul came out with this album, Spellbound, in 1991. It sucked. I liked her first album, Forever Your Girl. <laughs> Opposite Sorry to Tract, hear that. Uh, the, you know, uh, Two Steps Forward, Two Step Back, all that shit. It was fun. But this was based on selling the album on Kanunu. Kanunu. <laughs> Being in the music video. Hush. Hush. I don't remember what the song was actually about, but this album was number yeah, one and it was all over MTV at the time. Unfortunately, I had to listen to some of this music to form my opinion from my <laughs> earlier rant. I remember the song, but not the video. They should reenact it. That might be fun <laughs> because Keanu's beloved. He is. He is. Yes, he, he he seems like a really great, solid dude. He'd go back and do it with no problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then there was also Seal's album. Seal's debut album came along at this time in 1991. It's a tremendous debut effort. Seal never matched it again, but I always respected something he said, and I'll loosely quote it. A musician spends 20 years writing his first album while the record company wants the next one in a year's time. Yeah, he's not wrong. I can count on one hand and have fingers left over the number of Seal songs. Mm-hmm. But Crazy is a great song. Yeah, it really is. That That's another one that you just kind of want to, when you're driving around by yourself, you just belt it out. <laughs> yeah. And the most disappointing thing about this album and his career for me is that he never returned to this upbeat, danceable sound. Everything just turned into annoying ballads after this. Not just the hits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get on to May. All what right. happened in May? Smashing pumpkin. I know. You, come on. You were probably just not not at the bit to get on <laughs> this one. <laughs> I, I know that a lot of us didn't hear about the Smashing Pumpkins when this album came out. Yeah, was most of the attention on Gish because of Siamese Dream? I think Gish kind of actually carved the way for Siamese Dream and for the Smashing Pumpkins to come along and come out. In 1991, there was a concert at Memorial Auditorium in Burlington, Vermont, that featured the Red Hot Chili Peppers as the headliners, Pearl Jam as the first opener, and Smashing Pumpkins as the second. Oh, that would have been a nice show to see. Yeah, can you imagine? But that was Gish that they were touring on. So Gish was out there in front of everybody during that time. And you know how you know my feelings on Smashing Pumpkins. If I had known this album existed before Siamese Dream, I probably wouldn't have uh, some of my thoughts on the Smashing Pumpkins <laughs> that I do now because this is a really this is a great album. Yeah, this this is a more complete album in my opinion. Oh, definitely than Siamese Dream. Yep. If they could have done this album with the production quality of Siamese Dream. Yep. Siamese Dream actually sounds like they're trying to put out alternative radio rock singles, whereas this album is a piece put together from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. So we're on to June. We have uh, Bonnie Raitt in there in June. (laughs) Look, man, you know, you know, it's her pop effort. It is. She's not using that 80s sound that you get annoyed by with the electronic beats. Her slide guitar is still present. It's just too polished. Yeah. She had a really good two to three album run of success over this period. Yeah, good for her. Yeah. I never owned any of them, but they were mom songs to me. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And it may, you know, and maybe that's why I had the reaction to it that I did. It's it's like, oh, it's not for me. So it's not for me. I can hate it. <laughs> yeah. But here we go to July and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. 
Oh, I I so love this record. Yeah, I love singing every every record, every song on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had a road trip, especially if I was alone, I'd sing my ass off. This record. <laughs> <laughs> In case no one has figured it out, I love to sing. First and foremost, I have to connect with the voice on a song, and that's probably and that's probably one of the reasons also why I like to have albums because I want to love a voice all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, and didn't heard that Jeff Lynne produced this album. I'm a Jeff Lynne fan. Yeah. yeah. Um, not, not the last time we'll hear from Jeff Lynne. No, not at all. Yeah, this is a great album. Yeah. Love it. And the last album I'm going to bring up is Fugazi, Steady Diet of Nothing. I'm bringing this album in right at the tail end here. Everything is about to change next month. But Fugazi was a step ahead with this album. Any successful band that had an ethos of never charging more than $5 for a gig will always get a mention from me. I don't know how sustainable that was and how it remained that way, (laughs) but it's still very cool at the time. They had some great albums in the early 90s, and this was one of them. They were still the real alternative and probably much more a continuation of underground punk. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. But really, before we finish the show here in July, there's one more event, not an album that took place, that was going to assist in the generational shift of the music we're heading towards in August. And that happened July 18th, the very first Lollapalooza. Perry Farrell launched this. It was a farewell tour for his band, Jane's Addiction, because they just dissolved. But there were other bands that were appearing on the act. Susie and the Banshees, Nine Inch Nails, Rollins Band, Fishbone, Rage Against the Machine. It was the start of the touring festival, something that went on for quite a while in the 90s. It gave an audience to these bands and a chance to see these types of bands on a major tour exposed them to a bunch of new people and probably shaped the touring industry for the next decade. Yeah. But didn't it lead to Woodstock too? No, it didn't. (laughs) Woodstock was not a touring festival. Look, man, all that Lollapalooza Uh, led to was Lilith fair. And that's, (laughs) I know, I I, I know. I can't, I can't say it. But look at like the, the warp festival. It started the touring festival. Oh, bands going around all together. It was a great idea. Yeah. 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 It it was a great idea. Yep. And it was something that definitely shaped our next, you know, five to eight years of music and going and seeing bands play because you might have to go see them while they were on tour with a festival instead of going Hmm. and seeing them play in some arena or something else. Yep. So Matt, okay, here we go. We have to get to our five. We are going to have 10 songs in 1991 because we have to have five songs for now leading from January to July because that's where we're going to cut it off. And you have not picked this year <laughs> I know, exactly right the yeah, users i don't, I don't know who, who the listeners it. i should yeah, say they did but i guess maybe you're gonna go first because you let us in okay yeah i'll, I'll go first uh so i'll start out with a hair band okay um bullet boys there's probably the only time this band will get mentioned on the show. <laughs> Thankfully, they had a cover of a Tom Waits song called Hang On St. Christopher. That's a good tune. Um, yeah, it, it's pretty good, uh, you know, because it it's kind of got different textures, you know, probably with the bongos and everything that kind of set it apart from your typical hair metal song. But yeah, if we're if we're going from the beginning of 91, yeah, I'll go with Bullet Boys, Hang On St. Christopher. Wow. I'll go take a listen to that because I like that Tom Waits song. My first song, I'm going to go to T-Hip, Tragically Hip, and I'm going to take Little Bones off of Road Apples. This is 
one of those songs that just gets me pumped up. There's something oh, yeah. about it. It's a, you talk about this album being a driving album and Lately, I think yeah. this song is where you would put your foot down on the pedal. <laughs> and it's the opening track. Yeah. Right? But yeah, that guitar going. comes in and goes, dah, 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 dah. and then everything just kind of comes to like, yeah, goddamn right. That's the way to start an album. It is the way to start an album. And this will probably be my only tragically hip song in the show. You've had a previous song from one of the other years that we've done, but yeah. uh, I'm happy to bring it to this. So. Yeah, awesome. Little Love bones. It. What's your number two? Um, my number two is a song from the Tragically Hip. Oh, called, Fidd- <laughs> <laughs> called Fiddler's Green. Oh, well, you it's took- off the same album. <laughs> yeah, it's off the same album. Well, you picked uh, uh, Little Bones, which was going to be my my choice, but you got dibs. No problem with that because I get to add another hip song off <laughs> a great album. It's you know it, it, it's a ballad, and I chose another ballad. You know. Uh, earlier with it's a good life if you don't weaken and it's a sad story you know gord's nephew passed away Mm -hmm. but it's it's a great every song on this album is great i had a hard time choosing this is it going to be long time running is it going to be uh last of the unplugged gems uh no it's going to be it's going to be fiddler's green that's great Great song your number two take it away (laughs) how come every time we bring up number two now (laughs) <laughs> ever since the ever since the Austin Powers, we look at each other with this little glimmer in an eye, like, "Are you yeah. gonna do it? Are you gonna stop no. being? Are you gonna stop?" No. Okay, just tell me going to my number two. <laughs> All right, Jim, what's your number two? My number two. Well, I spoke about it a little bit earlier. It's Ice T, New Jack Hustler. Love this song. To this day, I will put it on a playlist. Things that I'm listening to daily walks you know, around the neighborhood as you get older. I don't feel as tough listening to (laughs) New Jack Hustler as I did when I was 18, 19 years old. But I just love Ice-T's voice on this song, the way that it lays in. Yeah, this is definitely one of my favorite songs in the first half of 1991. Yeah, good choice. Good choice. His voice definitely stands out. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine being in your old folks' home and this is what you're listening to? It will be. Isn't it going to be great? Isn't it going to be great? (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's my number two. What's your number two? Uh, My number two, I'm going to go with another cover. Mm -hmm. Anthrax, Bring the Noise. Oh, I almost picked that song. Oh, really? That they did with Public Enemy. Yeah. Uh, Do I have more rap songs than you? On my <laughs> maybe so far will it last this well you, you just brought on I- iced tea but yeah this is a great song i really i do like public enemy they yeah. got a they got they got some good songs they got unique voices mm-hmm. um everything they do has a has a really good flow to it i and you know you match it up with anthrax all right my number three your number three what you got I'm going to go back to R.E.M., the album we talked about earlier but I'm actually going to take a song we didn't talk about and say radio song Radio Song was one of those tunes that got me excited for this album. It has KRS-One on it, doing a little rap bit in what's Mm -hmm. going on. And I think in a world where I was interchanging between hip-hop, pop music with rap going on, and then alternative music, suddenly I had this very kind of poppy alternative band with a hip-hop rap bit in the middle of it and it it kind of solidified my belief in loving 
that shitty 90s early <laughs> 80s music because rem was doing it and yeah you know here was a song that was a pop song that had a rap hook in the middle of it it's a fun song and i think it defines what it was like kind of at times to try to listen to the radio so yeah that was okay. it R- rem radio song that's my choice i could probably pick you know two or three other songs off that same album because I really enjoyed it at that time. But number four for you, let's hear what it is. Uh, well, it's an REM song. No, no just kidding. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, we'll probably only do that. This is probably the only show we'll do that. Uh, I'm going to go with Headlong by Queen. Oh. Yeah, it's a great classic Queen song. Mm-hmm. You know, they hadn't come along with a song like this in a while. And uh, I find, uh, kind of like as I said a few episodes ago, where I find like a a lot of comfort in Alice Van Halen's snare drum. Oddly, I find comfort in Brian May's guitar sound in Freddie Mercury's voice. You know, I feel like I'm in good hands when I, you know, put on a Queen record, and this song kicks ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a great album from beginning to end, and it's a very, yeah, it's- very well loved album here in the UK. People, people still talk about a lot of the songs off of it. So, so great choice for number four. Cool. What's your number four? Uh, my number four is going to be a Smashing Pumpkins song. Surprise, surprise. And that's going to be the song Bury Me off the album Gish. This song is all I need from the Pumpkins. The loud, quiet, loud stuff, the manic guitar solos, the rhythmic drum beats that Jimmy Chamberlain lays down. Mm, dynamics. There's, there's nothing in that song that's missing from the repertoire of what the Pumpkins bring to music. So yeah, okay. if if Siamese Dream had never come along, I'd still probably have this as my choice because I would have dug it up at some point and really loved it. All right, I get it. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Oh, my last one. Uh, it's going to be another cover for my number five. That I had three covers on this one. <laughs> That's a, it speaks to the state of '91 for for me. Uh, Crash Test Dummies, Androgynous, the first half of '91. First half of 91, you're right. <laughs> uh, but Crash Test Dummies Androgynous, it's a replacements cover. I I love the Crash Test Dummies and the hip. I really have the Crash Test Dummies and the hip for helping lead me out of that wasteland that was becoming hair metal and kind of just metal at the time. Yep. They did a great job of rearranging this song. They gave it more definition and vocal layers, uh, especially the staccato of the chorus. Going back and listening to the replacements, it's like, oh, no, I want that bump, bump, bump. I, I want that more definition in the song. I love Ellen Reed's harmonies on it. Uh, this is a great song. Yeah, it really is a nice song. Great choice for your final song from 1991, part one. <laughs> part one. Speaking of final, Jim, what is your final song? Well, I'm going back to that Seal debut album, and I'm picking the song Violet. Wait a second. You just said you were disappointed he went all ballady. I was disappointed that he did that, (laughs) but I still think this song is very profound. Violet's one of those songs, it's a breakup song, but it's from the perspective of somebody who knows that breakup is coming. There's lyrics in that song that just are very profound to me. If you've ever been in a relationship and you've gone down the road and you've said, okay, it's over. And I need to go in this direction. And this person's going to go in that direction. And then that person decides, 
I'm going to call you to see if you're okay after we broke up. I love this lyric because when we make that change, don't look to see I'm all right. Leave me alone. You left me. We broke up. Move on. And that's what that lyric is saying. And I exactly. think it's a, it's a really lovely, beautiful, profound way to say that when you look back on me and you check back to see I'm okay, that's actually going to hurt me a little bit. So, see, moody music is good, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> but see, moody music is also in seal, Matt. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah, saying. It, it, it is. <laughs> hey, there's always exceptions to the rule, right? There are. There are. <laughs> Holy crap. Are we done with the first half of 1991? We are done with the first half of 1991. That felt like a lot of work. Oh, I don't that think, was a lot of work. I don't think like the next show is going to feel like the same amount of work. I think the work I of the know. next show is going to be like, how do we not talk about this? And that? I, yeah, I know. It, it, it should definitely be less rant driven. Mm-hmm. And it should definitely be more of an ode to, to ode to 91 oh, definitely. And, and I a think couple years half, coming. Yeah. The second half will be a love letter to 1991. I think. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Hope. Yeah. We we're probably not overselling it. Uh, you know, sometimes when you look back, you actually get into it. You're like, Oh crap. We're a couple. And we hope that people that listen to this first half of 1991, as much as we weren't as attached to it, still find something that they can dig in and listen to. Honestly, oh, man, yeah. that Bullet Boys tune, I never would have gone and listened to Bullet Boys for <laughs> any reason whatsoever. <laughs> but I enjoyed listening to that version of the Tom Waits song. It, it was, was pretty cool. Cover. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. And I, I, I really dug that song at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, and we're at the end of part one of 91 and we're Mark Safe and Rico Suave. We are. We aren't now. (laughs) No, goddamn it, Matt. (laughs) All right. So, whose turn is it to sign us off? Um, I'm going to let you sign it off. All right. I can. I got a doggy that's coming in here begging for attention. Well, give the dog attention. (laughs) Come here, Rox. All right, everybody. It's been absolutely a joy to talk to you about the first kind of half of 1991 we ran this year up to july because when we come back next week you will discover that from august onwards it's pretty much where our entire cd tape collection was built out of for the rest of the 90s and we're really looking forward to talking to you about that music matt come on man the rest of this year is it's gold yeah it's gold it all it almost makes the first part worth living through. Yeah. And I think the first part of this year, and the point we tried to make is that it actually propels the second part of the year. So as much as we were down on and, you know, here I am being typical well, Jim, trying to find the good in everything. <laughs> yeah, 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 you are. You, it, but it's it's a good it's a good juxtaposition to what I bring, which is the doom of the gloom. Everything sucks. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> you, you know, but I think where our worlds really converge come in August and they yes. do. So I look forward to talking to you about August onward on the next yes. show. And for everybody out there, they're listening. Thank you very much. And tune in for part two of 1991. Matt, say goodbye to our kind audience. Goodbye, kind audience. Thank you for all your support. (laughs) Everybody, thank you for listening. Peace, love, and podcast.